Welcome to the Athens First United Methodist Church Sermons Podcast. I'm Kayla Thomason, a member of the communications team. We hope you enjoy this weekly resource. Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is so good to be with you in worship on this special day. Indeed, it is also a very solemn day, for today is the day when we remember the 21st anniversary of 9-11. It's hard to believe that that was 21 years ago. And yet I know that it is true that anyone who was alive that day, anyone who remembers can tell me exactly where they were on that unspeakable morning. I am grateful that during worship that we could, we could take a moment to remember the victims and to remember that day. I'm also grateful because today is a special day in the life of the church because today uh, we are kicking off our brand new stewardship series. It's called All Things New. And what I need you to know about this new stewardship series is the fact that this is not your grandmother's stewardship series. What I mean by that is I remember growing up in the church and anytime stewardship season came around, it was a signal for people in the pews to do one of two things. There were some people who decided to take the next couple of weeks off from worship. (laughs) There were others, however, who just kind of braced themselves for week after week after week of nothing but sermons on giving and how we should give and why we should give and what we should give. And that's all really important stuff. But what I want us to do over the next couple of weeks is I want us to look at stewardship from a larger perspective. I want us to look at the future of the church and ask the question, what is it that we're actually investing in? When we give, when we pledge, when we talk about this thing we do together called church, what is it that God's calling us to do? And who is God calling us to be? And how is it that we together might embody a brave new faith? so that we can reach a brave new world for Jesus Christ. This morning we begin by looking at a passage of Scripture that comes from the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, now what you need to know about this, this portion of Scripture is the fact that it was written by an author named John. John was exiled on the island of Patmos, and it was there that he received word from God. He was given a vision from God where God said, I have a message that I want you to write in a letter to seven churches. And I want you to write it all down. I'm going to give you this vision, and I want you to deliver this to the churches. It's what John called his revelation. And so what we look at this morning is really the tail end of that vision. It is the tail end of a communication to seven churches about what it means to believe in God in the face of unprecedented challenges. Hear these words from the 21st chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is now among mortals. 
he will dwell with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more for there will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy, and they are true. This is the word of God for the people of God. So back in 1804, President Thomas Jefferson decided that it was high time that our country started to explore its newest territorial acquisition. It was called the Louisiana Purchase. And the Louisiana Purchase added about 828,000 square miles to our country's footprint. And he decided that it was time for us to explore these new lands. And so in order to do so, we needed a special expedition team. It was an expedition team that he knew couldn't just be made up of, of ordinary men. No, he wanted the best of the best. So he appointed two men. One was William Clark and the other was Meriwether Lewis. And together they became the famous Lewis and Clark expedition. Now what President Jefferson wanted to do is not just to explore this new territory, but he also wanted them to, to discover a, a water route that other explorers had been searching for for centuries. Now there was no proof that this water route actually existed. It was just a, a, a myth. It was something that had been rumored, but everyone was absolutely convinced that it was real. It was a water route that would connect the Mississippi River with the Pacific Ocean. It was believed that if they could find this water route, all they would have to do is place their canoes in the water and then be gently brisked down the river to their ultimate destination. President Jefferson believed, William Clark believed, Mary Brother Lewis believed that if they could simply find this water route, it would be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. <laughs> but of course, if you know your history, that is not exactly what happened. Because what that expedition group wasn't anticipating was what was awaiting them at the mouth of the Missouri River. In fact, Meriwether Lewis wrote in his journal that as he and his men were climbing up a hill, they were literally carrying their canoes on their shoulders, and they were preparing for any moment to come upon this new river where they would put their canoes in it and they would go to the Pacific Ocean. He said, we knew it was coming any moment. They come to the top of the hill, and what do they discover? Well, it wasn't a river, but instead, it was a mountain range. And not just any mountain range, it was the Rocky Mountains. In fact, Meriwether Lewis wrote in his journal, they were the most terrible mountains I ever beheld. And so in a book in which he was describing this scene in which the expedition group finally reached the top of the mountain, 
or top of the hill and they looked out upon the mountains, the author Todd Bolzinger describes it this way. He said it was at that moment that the explorers looked out upon their future and they realized that the world in front of them was nothing like the world behind them. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I think not only is that the perfect description of what Lewis and Clark must have been feeling that day, not only was that the perfect summation of what they were experiencing as they looked out to their uncertain future, I am also convinced that it is also the perfect summation of what we in the church are also feeling as we look out onto the future and we realize that we are facing some very uncharted waters. Now, the reason I say that is because if we're being honest with each other this morning, the 21st century church has a lot of challenges in front of it. There are a lot of things that we're looking out upon the future and realizing that we've never dealt with these kinds of things before. They are unprecedented. And they are things that can sometimes be downright scary. Now, of course, when I use the word church, I want you to know that I'm, I'm not just talking about local churches. I'm not talking about Athens First United Methodist Church. In fact, I'm not even talking about a denomination in particular. What I'm talking about is the Big C Church. I'm talking about the Church Universal. Because these days, churches all around the globe are facing challenges unlike anything we've ever experienced before. Of course, the thing that we know that has disrupted life in the church the most in the past couple of years would be the pandemic, right? It was back in March 2020 when all of a sudden Uncle COVID came knocking on our door, unexpected, unannounced, totally unwelcomed, and he turned the church upside down. Things shut down immediately. Uh, ministries happened in totally different ways. No matter how long a church had its doors closed for, whether it was a long time or a short time, one thing that every congregation experienced together is the fact that COVID changed everything. The way we did missions and ministry and worship and giving there's not a single church that was unaffected by the pandemic. And of course, when it came time for us to reopen our doors, when congregations said, okay, I think it's safe, we can do this again, and we opened our doors, and we announced to the world, all right, everybody, we're back in business. Y'all come. That didn't exactly happen, did it? I mean, I, I know I've talked to so many different churches in the area who have said we opened our doors and not everyone came. In fact, we discovered that there were some people who were here before the pandemic, but they weren't in the church after the pandemic. And there are a lot of reasons why that's true, but the one question that so many churches kept asking is, where did everybody go? So be, to be sure, the pandemic has had its effects, it's had its impact on the church these days, but that's not the only reason that we face an uncertain future. Because long before the pandemic ever happened, there were, there were some cultural shifts that were afoot in America. There were some, some, 
some thoughts about faith and church and Christianity that were clearly starting to change. In fact, back in 2019, the, the Pew Research Center did a groundbreaking study on how Americans view the church and how Americans view the Christian faith. What they discovered is that when it comes to faith, the two fastest growing segments in our population are called the nuns and they are the duns. Now the nuns are those who say, I have no faith. I'm atheist, I'm agnostic, I, I just don't have a religious affiliation. Those are the nuns. The duns are those who were in church once upon a time. They were those who had faith once upon a time, but they now say, I'm done with it. For whatever reason, I'm done with it. That constitutes the two fastest growing segments in our population today. In fact, back in 2009, there were 39 million people who said, I'm either a nun or I'm a done. Today, it's now 69 million Americans. That number has been soaring upwards. But of course, inside the church, the numbers have been shifting too, because in fact, last year in 2001, our country, we, we crossed a very curious and, and, and important threshold. Last year, in August of 2021, we officially became a country that has more people who don't claim a church than people who do claim a church. Meaning, we are now in the minority if you say, I'm somebody that goes to church. 47% of Americans say, mm-mm. 47% of, of, of Americans is now in the minority, which is kind of interesting when you think about it was just 20 years ago where that number was 70%. 70% of people said, yeah, I've got a church. I can tell you where it is. Maybe don't go to it, <laughs> but people would claim it. Now, it's not the case. Now, obviously, these kinds of numbers don't tell us the whole story. But I do believe these kinds of numbers tell us a story. And, and the story that it tells the church is one that should be at least a little concerning for us. It's one that should at least give us pause and say, what's going on here? And so it is. I, I think at the very least what we can say when we kind of we recognize the challenges that we're facing I, we, I think we can say that when it comes to the religious landscape in America today, we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. As the great Christian prophet Bob Dylan once said, the times, they are a-changing. <laughs> and the world in front of us is not like the world behind us because there was a day in time in this country some 60 or 70 years ago that all we had to do is just open the doors of the church and the people would stream in. You know, if you didn't go to church on Sunday morning, you were likely to hear about it at work on Monday morning. But is that the case anymore? No. No. And so at the very least, what we can say is this. The church, as it looks out into the future, we've got some pretty precarious mountains to climb. There are mountains that none of us have ever scaled before. And so the question is, 
what do we do? You know, as the, as the church recognizes the, the shifting sands within the culture of the day, what is it that we can do? How can we respond so that we can move forward with any sense of confidence or certainty? Well, there's obviously a lot of different ways that we can answer that question, but one that I was struck by in a book that I've been reading by Todd Bolzinger, he says the first thing the church needs to learn how to do is to put down its canoes because we're climbing mountains. And those canoes aren't going to do much help as we're ascending up the mountain. What he means by that is that the church has to recognize that there are certain things that we've done in the past, ways that we've grown, ways that we've been successful, that aren't necessarily going to do the same thing in the future. For instance, I was having a conversation recently with a family member who was telling me about a church up in Western North Carolina, she said, hey, Jeremy, have you heard about such and such United Methodist Church? And I said, no, I sure haven't. What's been going on there? She said, well, it just so happens they just celebrated their 71st anniversary. I said, isn't that great? And she said, they celebrated by shutting their doors forever. And I said, isn't that not great? I said, what happened? She said, well, for the most part, it was, it was probably the pandemic, you know. It, it, it hurt so many churches, and so many congregations weren't able to rebound. Because, you see, the thing about the pandemic was the pandemic kind of had this microwaving effect on congregations, where if you were struggling with something before the pandemic, you were really struggling with it during the pandemic, and not every church was able to bounce back. Well, this church was trying to do that. They were trying to get back to normal, trying to see if they could grow the church again. So they held the meeting one night, and they kind of had a big brainstorming session. They said, all right, how can we get back to normal? How can we grow for the future? And somebody said, well, it's not like we haven't grown in the past before. So what have we done back in the day what used to be successful? Because if it worked back then, surely it's going to work again, right? And so that's what they did. They had a brainstorming session about all the many things that they had done in the past. And somebody said, well, what about an Easter egg hunt? Remember when we used to do those and the kids would come and we had fun? We should have an Easter egg hunt. So they had an Easter egg hunt. Another person said, remember how back in the 80s we had a thriving singles ministry? We should do that again. We should start our singles ministry. So they restarted their singles ministry. And another person said, what about when we had those, um, remember those Friday night fish fries? Oh, that was so much fun, and the whole community would come. We should do that again. And so they did all of these many things with great intention. And guess how many of them worked? None. Not because they weren't done with, with great efforts and enthusiasm but it's simply because they were trying to head into the future by recreating the past. And so it is that after much tears and many, many prayers, they finally decided it's time to close the doors. And after 71 years, that's what they did. Now that is sad. I mean, I hate hearing stories like that, but I don't believe that it's unavoidable 
Because I truly believe that if they had simply stopped and asked God the question, God, what do we do here? As, as we look into this uncertain future, as we're, as we're facing a world that we don't recognize, what can we do? I think God would have said at least two things to that church. The first thing that God would have said to that church is this. It starts by remembering who I am. Don't ever forget who I am. Because I am not the God who says, behold, I make all things old. I am not the God who says, behold, I make all things familiar or comfortable or routine or the way they used to be. No, I am the God who says, behold, I make all things new. And so what that means is that if you are going to be my church, then you've got to lean into that too. You've got to be the kind of church that's willing to, to get outside its comfort zone, to be adventurous and try fresh expressions of ministry. You have to be willing to try to do some things that you've never done before. I think God would start by saying, don't ever forget who I am. I'm the God who makes all things new. And of course, if you know your Bibles, you know that that's a common refrain throughout the Scripture. You remember how back in, in Isaiah 43, when God is talking to the people and He's preparing them for what He's about to do, and what does God say? He says, do not remember the former things and do not consider the things of old. Why? For I'm doing a new thing. Indeed, he says, it springs up all around you. Do you perceive it, God says. It's a common refrain throughout the Old Testament. But it's also a common refrain throughout the New Testament. I mean, Jesus was all about all things new. That's something that throughout the Gospels, Jesus was constantly advocating for. Do you remember how many times when Jesus was teaching or preaching or, or instructing his disciples, he would talk to them about things like, like new life and new birth and new commandments and new covenants? In fact, one of the very first lessons that Jesus gives his disciples in Mark chapter 2 is all about new wine. And he says, hey, fellas, do you want to know how to preserve new wine? He said, well, the first thing you need to know is don't put it in old wineskins. Because if you put new wine in old wineskins, you know what's going to happen? It'll burst, and the wine will be ruined. And I am absolutely convinced that, that there are churches who have tried to take the, the new wine of the gospel, the new wine of, of ministry and mission and fresh expressions of, of sharing the good news with the world, and they put them in old wineskins. Because it's hard to shake that mold. It's hard not to think, well, what have we done in the past? Or that's the way we've always done it. I think sometimes that wine gets wasted because we try to put it in old wineskins. I think if God had the chance to talk to that church, the first thing he would say is, never forget who I am. I am the God who said, behold, I make all things new. But the second thing that God would say to that church is this. Never forget 
that I am the one who makes all things new, not you. In other words, what God says in Revelation 21 is not, behold, you make all things new. He doesn't say it's up to your strength and your talent and your ability and your creativeness. Mm -mm. God says, I make all things new. So don't ever think that the future of the church, that the success of the church, that the growth of the church is up to you. It's not. That's all on me. For I am the one who makes all things new. You just have to learn how to lean into that. And if I can be honest with you this morning, I will admit that I have often fallen into that trap as a pastor. I mean, there's been so many nights where I lie awake and I think, well, what are we going to do? It's all up to me. What should we do? What program should we start? Maybe it's a new Bible study. Maybe it's a new mission. Maybe I need to work on the quality of the sermons. Don't say anything. I mean, what is it that I can do to make this thing move forward? And God says, nothing. You can't do anything. This is my church, and I'm in control. And so, therefore, the only thing that you can do is not try to move the church forward under your power. It's going to be under my power. The only thing I need you to do is to trust me and to be faithful. And I know that that's... Not easy, because it does sometimes cause us to try new things and to go outside our comfort zone and, and to, to be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. But I think what God would say is when you trust me and when you're faithful, I promise you one thing. It will be worth it. Now, back a couple years ago, I, I read a book by an author named Dr. Rachel Riemann. Uh, the book was called My Grandfather's Blessings. And in this book, uh, Dr. Riemann tells a story about how when she was four years old, her grandfather gave her a very unique gift. It was a small paper cup filled with dirt. And she said, as a typical four-year-old, I, I didn't care about what the present was. I was just happy to get a gift. And so I was ready to play with my new cup of dirt. But my grandfather stopped me, and he said, no, 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 Rachel, Rachel, this is not the kind of gift I want you to play with. No, this is a gift that comes with an assignment. I want you to water that cup of dirt every day. Can you do that for me? Do you think you can water that dirt? She said, I can do it, granddad. And so that's what she did. Every day, just before breakfast, she'd go into the kitchen and she'd pull that little paper cup of dirt down off of the windowsill, and she'd put a little bit of water, and then she'd put it back every single day. And every day, that cup of dirt did absolutely nothing. And she was so frustrated by that. In fact, one day, she brought her cup of dirt back to her grandfather, and she said, uh, Granddad, I think, I think my cup of dirt is broken because it's not doing anything. And he said, you got to trust me, Rachel you got to trust me. So keep on watering it, and I promise you, it'll be worth it. So that's what she did. She kept watering it day after day, and, and she got to the point where she was almost ready to give up. 
But she said, one morning I walked into the kitchen, I pulled that cup down off of the windowsill, and I looked down in it, and would you believe, there was the tiniest little evidence of growth. And so I watered it a little more, and the next day I watered it a little more, and the next day I watered it a little more, and a couple of days later, there was a little flower that bloomed out of that little cup of dirt. And she said, I remember running to my grandfather and saying, Papa, look what I did, look what I did, look what happened. There's a flower in the cup. This flower grew because of the water. And her grandfather said, no, Rachel, the flower didn't grow because of the water. The flower grew because of your faithfulness. How does the church move into a future where the world in front of us looks nothing like the world behind us? I think God would say to each and every one of us, just be faithful. Just be faithful. And by faithful, I mean listen for my voice and pray wholeheartedly. Discern where it is that I am calling the church to go. Discern what it is that I'm calling the church to do. Discern what it is I'm calling you to be. I want you to have holy and courageous conversations about what it is that I'm calling you to do out in the world. I want you to do brave new things so that you can serve a brave new world. But most of all, what God would say to us is this, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust in the one who says, behold, I make all things new. Because more than anything, what God wants us to know is this. He says, I know the future that I'm calling you into. And the good news is this. I'm already there. And so therefore, the only thing you need to do, church, is be faithful. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for a new day. We give you thanks for new things, for new life, for new birth. God, I give you thanks for the fact that there is a new fresh wind blowing through this place and you are calling us to a new day. So God, as we, as we head into the future, may we trust you. May we learn how to put down our canoes. Whatever it is that we have been used to doing in the past, God, give us a heart for trying new things, for being willing to, to step outside our comfort zones and, and be willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel. God, I pray that you would continue to to move our church forward, that we truly would together discern who it is that you're calling us to be, what you're calling us to do, and where you're calling us to go in the future. And no matter what mountains we may need to climb together, God, we will do so trusting you and through our faithfulness. It is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC.org.